Well, welcome to our Newport Church at Home online service. We're so glad that you joined us, whether it's here locally in Orange County or in other parts of the US or other parts of the world. We pray that this time would be uplifting, that you would have a sense of God's presence, hope and faith that rise in your heart, and that the Word of God would, would build you up so that we can be in this day a voice of hope and faith to everyone in our world. I know this is the beginning of a, a, a school term for many. Some have already gone back to school, but we wanna pray, uh, and we will at the end of this service, for God to give you a special grace for this new season, students and parents, and pray that God blesses you richly. Let's open up our hearts in this time of worship. Let's, let's receive something fresh and new from God so glad you could be with us today. Well, good morning, Newport Church. We are so excited that you are with us this morning. Come and worship with us. Stand to your feet. Let's praise the name of Jesus this morning. Creation, everything with breath, repeat. 
redemption, our salvation is in His blood. And Jesus, light of heaven, friend forever, His kingdom
How good it is to be able to worship God and uh, nothing can stand between us and Him even in times when there are, we're all experiencing so many restrictions when it comes to God we have we can boldly access His throne of grace in times of need and God will hear our prayer and He'll hear our cry and today I want to take a moment to as we transition from our time of worship into our time of giving to just focus on our generosity because our generosity, our giving is an act of worship. And the Bible is very clear um, about the, the importance of us expressing the generosity that God has extended towards us, towards others. And when we do that, God smiles on us and his favor is extended towards us. Our giving is making a difference in people's lives. Obviously, we have expenses for building and, and, and all of the expenses of, of running a church. But what we want to be doing is we want to be helping people. We want to be helping people through our online service, cause faith and hope to rise in people's hearts. We want to be connecting with people emotionally, spiritually, helping them physically with their practical needs. Every Friday we have a team that comes here and, and sorts food. We put it on a truck and we take it to Santa Ana and share it with families there. And we've been able to share the Word of God with them. They're hungry, not just for physical food, but they're hungry for spiritual food. People have been responding. People have been joining us online for our Spanish service. And so everything that you give and we give is making a, not just a difference for time, but for eternity in people's lives. So thank you for partnering with us. It's such a blessing to be a blessing to others because God has blessed us. And as I close in prayer and Going on the screens, of course, are a number of different ways that we can participate with giving our, our um, donations, tithes, and offerings. I want to close with this passage of scripture. I love it in Proverbs 11, to encourage you as you give. God says, there is one who scatters or sows their seed and increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, holds on to what they have, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who warders will also be warded himself. What a great reminder that is of the fact that when we give, God promises that we will increase more. We not only help others, but God blesses us in return. 
we will never lack for our generosity, but God will always bring it back to us. And he that waters others will themselves be watered. I pray that that's an encouragement to you. Thank you once again for your generosity. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything we have comes from you. In fact, when we give to you, we, we simply are giving back to you what you've given to us and entrusted to us. I pray that for everyone who gives, Lord, you will honor the promise of your word that for those who are tithing, you'll open the windows of heaven. For those who are giving, you will give back to them. For those who bring their offerings, Lord, may you multiply the seed that they sow. And in it, may many lives be touched and changed in this time of need, but also a great time of opportunity for us to be the difference in our community. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your generosity. We love and appreciate you greatly. Sunday. Last week I shared about the importance of our home being an atmosphere of peace and I want to just share one thing with you this week, a practical thing to help um, for those of you who are looking for things you can do in your home, whether it's a shared room, whether it's you've got your own room, it's an apartment, it's a home, um, just the things that have helped us and I do love candles. I know that um, a lot of you girls love candles too, but not everyone has a candle budget. And I know that I don't have a candle budget for expensive candles burning all day, all night. So what I do is I have beautiful votives like this glassy baby, and I buy little tea lights that are very inexpensive. But I do love candles and it's not a religious thing in our home at all. And I wanted to share some thoughts about how important um, you know, candles are and lamps and torches in the Word of God. Proverbs 20, 27, it says this, The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. The Hebrew word for candle means any kind of candle, lamp or torch. So I love the thought of this because, number one, the candle, the light, is used as a figure of conscience. Secondly, it is used as a Christian example. Matthew 5, 14 to 15 says this, You, that's you and me, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And thirdly, it is used as a picture of prosperity. So whether you have that candle budget or not, and I just you know, showed you what to do, pretty votives, 
really inexpensive little tea light guys. How wonderful for us to know that even in any kind of setting, whether it's tiny or spacious, we can not just light a candle and feel peace, but we can actually light up our lives and bring peace to our world. I love you. God bless you. Have the most amazing week. And I'll be back next Sunday with some more home atmosphere, peaceful encouragement for you. I love you. Well, we're continuing with our series, We've Never Been This Way Before. And we're looking at the story of the nation of Israel as they were about to enter into the promised land. And this is what Joshua said to the people. He said, when we cross over the Jordan River, I want you to make sure that you keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and on the Levitical priests who are carrying it. You're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. We've been talking about how pertinent that is in this season when none of us have ever experienced a year like this before. We've never been this way before. And there are so many great keys in this transition, this story from the nation of Israel after 400 years in slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, now about to enter the promised land that apply themselves to our lives, that are parallels, that are lessons from which we can learn. And as we've been looking at this, we've been looking at certain key things that were, that were uh, vital for them to possess the promise that God had for them and the promise that he has for us in exactly the same way, the same principles apply. First of all, they should keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, keep their eyes on God. They should value God's presence more than anything else. Secondly, they should be careful to do everything God told them to do, them to do. God's word was to be their roadmap. And then thirdly, it was going to require them to take steps of faith. And God promised wherever they put their foot, God would give to them. And the amazing and most significant example of that was when the priests put their feet in the waters of the Jordan River. They stopped upstream and they were able to pass over on dry land into the promised land. Well, when they got there, God said, okay, I've been doing uh, many of the things that you've experienced, many of the miracles I've done for you. And now I'm going to require you to walk for yourselves now that you're in the land. I carried you and now I want you to walk yourselves. I fed you now I want you to feed yourselves. I fought for you. Now I want you to fight for yourselves. I managed everything for you in the wilderness. Now I need you to manage the land for yourselves. And so today I want to talk about the next thing that God asked his people to do. For those four things. And then fifthly, God wanted to them to establish their identity in the land themselves. God wanted them to establish their identity in the land themselves. As they stood on the shores of the Jordan River, God was reminding them 
that he had revealed their true identity to them as a nation and as a people while they were in the wilderness. He was reminding them that it was there in the wilderness during that 40-year period that he revealed to them who they were. He revealed to them their purpose as a nation. He revealed to them who he created them to be. And it was there that he gave them their religious law, their moral law, and their civil law, all of which was an expression of their identity as the people of God. The number 40 is significant because 40 years in the Bible is a generation. And it was here in the wilderness during that 40 years that the new generation was born. And they were born with a clear understanding of their identity. And that was the key to their success. Now, what God was saying is, now you know your identity. When you go into the land, you are going to have to establish that identity for yourselves in the land that I'm giving to you. And this is going to be different. It's not going to happen in the isolation of the wilderness where there were no other cultures, no other ideologies, no other distractions where they could learn and become uh, endued with all of the aspects of their identity as a people. No, he said this is going to happen in the melee, the mix of multiple peoples, of cultures, of ideologies and religions. And God was reminding them that they are going to be hostile towards you. It's going to be a hostile environment that's going to try to strip you of your identity. It's going to be a seductive culture that's going to try to draw you into its sphere and influence you and water down your identity. And it's going to be an idolatrous land of many gods that are going to divert you or try to divert you from the true worship of the one true God. God was reminding them that there was an enemy who wanted to resist them and, and wanted to resist the establishment of their identity because their identity was central to their purpose as a nation. It was central to God's plan of salvation for the world. And it was central to the power that God would reveal on their behalf. And that's what the enemy has been doing since the beginning of time. We are born as new Christians, as followers of Christ, with a new identity. And that identity is so important to our success. And if we lose our distinctive, which the enemy will try to do, if we become like everyone else, if we become assimilated into the prevailing culture, we will forget our purpose and we will forget the part that we play in God's plan. And that has been the enemy's uh, strategy from the beginning of time. Israel's greatest battles would not only be fought on the battlefields, but they would be fought in resisting the influence of the religion, the culture, and the morals of the land that they were possessing. And God was reminding them, the key to your success is your identity. Don't lose it. Know who you are and establish that identity into this new environment that you're going which is something that we all need to heed for our own lives today. I was thinking about this and I remembered a story back in when I was in Chile in South America in the early 1990s. It was a time of turmoil and transition from a military government to a, um, 
a, a democratic government, but it was also a time when there were revolutionary factions who were disturbing the peace. And very often they would drive by where soldiers were standing. There was a strong military presence. Soldiers would be standing on maybe a street corner or an intersection. And these revolutionaries would drive by and, and, and shoot and gun down the members of the military. And so it was a time of high tension. And I can remember one evening we had been in Rancagua, which is south of Santiago, driving back to Santiago with some missionaries. And we made a wrong turn. And we ended up, as we made that turn, in a dead-end street. And all of a sudden, the floodlights all around us went on. We were facing a barrier. And a soldier stepped out of the darkness, out of the shadows, along with a a German shepherd that was barking and snarling at the window, and he had his finger on the, on the trigger of the machine gun. He was looking somewhat nervous, and all of us had this moment where time seemed to freeze, where we wondered whether he was going to, in his concern and maybe his fear for his own life, was going to shoot before asking a question. And he shouted to us, identificase, which means identify yourself. And Chris Grace, who was the missionary driving the car, he wound down the window slowly and said, somos misioneros y estamos perdidos. In other words, we're missionaries and we're lost. We made a wrong turn. And you could kind of see his, him relax a little bit. But what he wanted was he wanted us to identify ourselves. He wanted to establish our identity because he didn't know whether we were friend or foe. Our survival depended upon our ability to establish our identity. And it made me think as I, uh, of this uh, time in Israel's history when their identity would determine their survival, their identity would determine their success. When they went into the land, who were they going to identify? Were they going to identify themselves with their God who gave them their identity? Or were they going to identify with the Canaanites and the multiple religions and cultures that were going to try to draw them into their sphere? I think another great example is if you or I were to visit a foreign country, we would need to take some form of identification. We'd need to take a passport of, of some kind. And that passport would be necessary for us to have access to that nation, to be able to go through customs, to be able to enter the country. Um, and that, that, that passport would, first of all, identify where we're from, our nationality. Would, the passport would identify our nationality, where we were born. Um, so the, the nation that we identify with. And then secondly, it would establish our identity, who we were, what we looked like, our unique features, um, and, and, and all of that information that is on there that establishes our actual identity. And so that uh, identification of our identity and our nationhood or our nationality gives us access to that country. And depending upon that, uh, what, whatever passport we have, it determines the rights and the privileges that we have or we don't have. How long we can stay in the country, whether we can work or whether we're permitted to work in the country or not, what kind of work we're allowed to do, all of which are determined by that passport.
which is uh, identifying us as, as a unique individual from a specific country. So our identification and our identity determine what we have access to or not. And as the nation of Israel were going into the promised land, their identity as a nation under God, their identification as a people who'd been chosen by God was so important for them if they were going to establish themselves in the land and possess the promise that God had promised to them. Israel's success and survival was, a, was, was dependent upon that. And so they had to establish themselves. They had to distinguish themselves from the other peoples and the other tribes and the other nations that were living in the land. They had to define themselves. They had to separate themselves. They had to identify themselves as different from everybody else. And in fact, the basis of their nationhood was in fact their difference, their differential. God had said to them, you are a holy nation. Now, often we think of holiness as to do with our behavior. And of course it does, but holiness fundamentally means to be set apart. And so God said, I want you to set yourselves apart as a nation under me. And if you do, if you set yourself apart, then you're gonna know success in everything that you do. But it is gonna mean that you're gonna be different. Leviticus 20 verse 26 says, you are holy to me. You are to be holy to me because I the Lord am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So they were different by design. I think it's really important that we understand that as believers, we are different by design. Our differential is our relationship with God. Our differential is that we have been touched by the power and the presence of God. We've been transformed. Our differential is that we are people who have different values, who have, who have a different view on the world, who see our world through a different lens. And this was what God was saying to them. This is fundamentally important for you if you're going to possess the promises that I have for you. And their identity as a nation was based on the fact that God had chosen them and set them apart. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This wasn't just that another powerful nation had invaded Canaan and taken possession of it, like the Assyrians did later, or the Babylonians, or even the Persians. No, and the Romans at a later time. No, this wasn't a more powerful nation. This was to do with them being a nation that was chosen by God, that was set apart by God because God wanted them, had a purpose for them. And their identification 
as the people of God, their identity as individuals as an, and as a nation which came from God, their creator, the one who'd revealed himself to them, gave them their purpose, their position, their power, and their provision. All of those came from their identity. All of those come to us through our identity, who we are in Christ, determines the measure of that that comes to our lives. First of all, their identification and identity gave them their purpose. Their purpose was they were to be a nation set apart from other nations to be an example to the other nations of the blessedness of knowing, loving, and serving the living God. Their purpose was that through that nation would come the seed that God had promised uh, to Adam in the garden after his fall, that there would be a seed who would come, who would bruise, uh, the, who, who would tread on the serpent's head and bring redemption to mankind, speaking of Jesus. Secondly, their position. They were at the center of God's purpose and plan. God positioned them there. Their power, the power that they had that was beyond their natural strength and ability came from their distinctive, that they were set apart and God was the God who was with them in all of their battles. And then lastly, the provision that they experienced was the provision that God gave them, not only because he loved them, but God gave it to them for the vision that he had for the world. Provision from God always comes for our vision. So all four of those things come to, came to them, but come to us when we understand our, our identity and when we identify with uh, who God has called us to be as a people, our purpose, our position, our, the power that we experience and the provision that we have in our life all comes from our identity. And as long as they kept their identity and, and identify themselves clearly as God's people, they would succeed. Whenever they lost their identity, their sense of identity, whenever they uh, began to identify with other peoples or other gods, they began to lose their purpose, they began to lose their power, their position, and their provision. Our identity is found in Christ. We can be so thankful that we have been touched by the love and the power and the grace of God. And in 1 Peter 2, 8 to 9, Peter talks about this. He talks about those of us who are not Jewish, who are not amongst those that were chosen by God, the Israelite nation. And he says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You're a royal, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. He says, once you had no identity as people. Our identity and, and, and the revelation of our identity and the revelation of how our identity sets us apart and our revelation that, that, that 
our identity makes us different is the key to all of the blessing that we see that the nation of Israel experienced because they understood that they were different by design. And when God calls us, when God sets us apart, when God does a work in our lives, after God has rescued us, he, he sets us apart to be extraordinary, not just ordinary. He sets us apart to be different, not like the rest of the world, all following different philosophies, different ideologies. He calls us and sets us apart to be distinctive and uniquely distinctive. None of us should be surprised if people say to us from time to time, what is it about you? There's something about you that's different. Well, that difference is the Spirit of God on the inside of us. The difference is that our lives have been touched by Jesus. The very nature of our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, makes us different. We are set apart. We are uniquely different. We don't think the same way as we used to or the same way that many others think. We, we, our worldview is different. The way we see our world is very different because we see through the lens of God's purpose and design for mankind. And so it's in Christ that we find our identity. And if we lose our identity, we, we lose that distinctive that God wants us to have that is so central to his purpose and plan for our lives. When we are no longer different, we lose our distinctive and, and we begin to lose our identity, who we are in Christ. But our identity sets us apart in our thinking, our values, and sets us apart in our faith from all of the other prevailing cultures in the world. John, who was the disciple that Jesus loved, writes about this. And I, I think that John writes about this more than any of the other apostles. He talks about the world. And, and he talks about, don't love the world. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of this world, because the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. Jesus talked about this also. Um, he talked a, a, about this uh, to his disciples. He said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. In other words, what Jesus and what John is echoing is that, that the world is, is the, the word for the world is the Greek word cosmos, which literally means the world system. In other words, as followers of Christ, as those who have our identity in Christ or in God, like the Jewish people in the Old Testament, as Christians in the New Testament, we are different because our framework of reference is not framed by the world system. The word cosmos, which means world system, is something that, that John is saying is incompatible with the differentials 
that make us who we are and give us our identity in Christ. And he talks about not being swept into the current of the cosmos. And I think it's so important that at this time with all that's going on in our world and so many crazy things that are happening in our world that we don't get as, as followers of Christ, we don't get swept into the current of the cosmos, of the, of the, the, the thinking of the world system that is so often so contrary to the very things that give us our distinctive and make us different as followers of Christ. And, and, and when we lose our identity, we lose our purpose. We lose our position. We lose our power. We, we lose the ability to, to receive the provision that God wants us to have for our lives. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. The salt has lost its savor and its power when it ceases to have power to influence. What Jesus is saying is we are called to be influencers in our world, not to be influenced by our world. Don't be influenced by the world. Be an influence in your world is what Jesus is saying. And, and when the Israelites went into the land, God made it clear that they were going to have to fight for their identity as a nation. They were going to have to deal with all sorts of opposition. They were going to have to deal with all sorts of influences that were going to try and take away their identity. The enemy was going to try and take it away from them in battle, through opposition. The enemy was going to try and take it away from them through compromise, by mixture of belief, other beliefs, and other cultures. And we must never forget that the enemy knew that it was through the nation of Israel that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would defeat him, was going to be born. And the enemy also, for us as the church, we need to understand that the enemy knows that it's through the church that God is going to fulfill his plan. It's through God's people that the world is going to be transformed and changed through the love, power, and grace of God, which is why he wants to come against our distinctives. He wants to undermine our identity. He wants to contaminate it. He wants to water it down by whatever means he can. And, and that is exactly what his goal and that is what his purpose is. If the enemy could not wipe out their identity as a nation by defeating them in battle, which the enemy, God's enemies and the enemies of the nation of Israel were unable to do, what the enemy sought to do was to try to water down and take their identity through compromise. And it's so important that we understand this because Israel was moving into an environment on the from the desert where they had been quarantined from the pollution of other cultures, ideologies, and religions. And now they were going to be exposed to the influence of the Canaanites. And this is what God said. He said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hev Hevites, and Jebusites. 
These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down the Asherah poles and burn their idols, for you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his special treasure. They were given very clear instructions. And of course, what God's goal was, God's goal was for them to separate themselves in order to maintain their identity and the purity of their identity. God knew that if there was mixture, God knew that if they intermarried, they would be influenced by them and their identity would be contaminated. And so Israel would, the nation of Israel was to be a people that were not to be shaped by other ideologies and cultures, but to shape the faith, culture, and ideologies of the surrounding nations. That was God's end game. That was what God's plan was. And the major question was, the the big question when Israel came into the promised land was, when they came into the land, were they going to identify with the Canaanites? Or were they going to identify with the people of God? Were, Were they going to find their identity in the gods of Canaan? Or were they going to find their true identity in God? And from the moment they entered into the land, they struggled with their identity. Elijah talked about this when he was on Mount Carmel and and he was confronting the prophets of Baal. And he said to the nation of Israel, you choose, choose God, Yahweh, or choose Baal. And he said to them, how longer will you waver between two opinions? Now, the vast majority of the people of the nation of Israel had not completely abandoned their faith or belief in Yahweh. What they had done is that they had continued to believe in Yahweh, but they were hedging their bets, in a sense, by believing in the power of Baal. Baal was a god of fertility. Baal was the territorial god over the land. And in those days, the ancient peoples believed that the gods of the ancient world were territorial. They only had power in certain areas. And so what the, what the Israelites were doing is they were believing in their God, in Yahweh, but at the same time, they were worshiping Baal. And God said, you can't do both. You can't mix faith in me with hope in a, in a dead God, in demon spirits, in, 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 in Baal. And so what Elijah is saying is how long are you going to waver between two opinions? And so the Israelites throughout their history were seduced through the culture and the worship of Baal 
and they, they worship Baal in a sense as a spiritual insurance policy, hedging their bets both ways. And they fell into syncretism. What is syncretism? The word syncretism, simply put, is mixture. Syncretism is an amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. It's the attempt to reconcile contrary beliefs, often while melding practices of various schools of thought, and the term means combining. Syncretism is the process by which the practices and beliefs of one religion are incorporated into another religion. That's what syncretism is. It's mixture. It's mixing one or more or multiple religions or ideologies together and merging them all together. What God was teaching the nation of Israel was such an important lesson, not only for them, but also for us. God was teaching the Israelites that in order for them to maintain their identity, separation was an integral part of the process. Separation creates the boundaries that define who we are and the space in which we get to create the world that we want to live in. If there's no separation in our lives, there can be no clarity. In the beginning, God separated light from darkness. Um, he, he separated the seasons. He brought separation between the waters above and the waters beneath. He separated the land from the ocean. Separation brought, brought clarity. It brought definition. It, it, it brought uh, into being a world in which uh, that, that we could live according to God's design. Separation creates clarity and definition. We are different by design. And in every area of our lives, we need to establish that differential. We're different by design. We're different as followers of Christ in what we stand for. We're different in what we believe. We're different in what, we're different in what we will do. We're different in what we won't do. We're different in the way that we look at our world. We're different in that we can see what others can't see through the light and illumination of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And the boundaries that we create in our lives are not boundaries that restrict us, but they're boundaries that, that create uh, that space in which we can create the world in which we want to live. And the reality is that separation creates clarity and definition, and God taught this principle, the principle of separation, that we must separate ourselves from certain things in life in order for our life to be the way that God designed it. And there are all sorts of examples of this in the Old Testament. God said, you shouldn't mix wool and linen. Um, you shouldn't mix seed. List Deuteronomy 22, 11. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Well, those are very strange instructions. But what God is trying to communicate to uh, his people is what mixture does. 
There has to be definition. There has to be separation. And he's using natural analogies from the natural farming world in order to bring a spiritual truth about the importance of being separate. Because the people of God did not separate themselves and because they, they uh, engaged in mixture of religion, of their worship, of their culture, they became polluted by the culture and religions of their day. And we read in the book of Ezra, uh, after, after Israel's uh, captivity and, and their return to the land, uh, we read in Ezra 9, 6, uh, verse 1, that these things were continuing to happen. And the Jewish leaders came to Ezra and said, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other people living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of all those other nations. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. All of this was purposed by God to bring a, a, a clarity and to, to a definition and to establish the identity of the nation of Israel in the land. Of course, those are Old Testament truths that now in the New Testament, we don't have to fulfill those literally, but we learn the spiritual truths from those principles to apply in our lives. In other words, mixture of ideologies, mixture of culture does not help us to maintain and grow in our identity as followers of Christ. And if you look at the nation of Israel, you see that when they went into the land, they were told not to mix with the Canaanites. They're at war with the Canaanites. Then they marry the Canaanites. Then they start living with the Canaanites. And after that, they're at war amongst themselves. That was the sequence that took place. Why? because they didn't listen to God's word about the power of separation that created clarity, boundaries, and definition in their lives. I remember the first time I saw a bumper sticker that really covered the whole of the back bumper of a car, and on it, it had every symbol that you could imagine from every religion or every cult on the planet. And the words coexist were written on that. Of course, that bumper sticker was talking about how all of us, regardless of our faith, should be able to coexist. But syncretism goes beyond coexisting. Synchronism takes us or takes people to a point where it's not only coexisting, but it's an amalgamation of all of those philosophies, all of those ideologies, and all of those beliefs. And at the end of the day, the spirit of the age in which we live, in a sense, is driving us towards a syncretism in the way that we view our world. And the end of syncretism is that we end up in a world where there are no absolutes. There's no right or wrong. Um, it's a world of relative truth. It's a world where we there is no true north where there is no moral compass, and it's a world where values are shaped by personal feeling or opinion. 
I like what Ravi Zacharias said. He said, we have a right to believe whatever we want, but not everything we believe is right. And so the enemy knows that if he can push us into a syncretic view of our world, we begin to lose our distinctives. We begin to lose our values. We, we begin to forget that we are different by design and we forget that God chose us, he called us, and he set us apart for the greatest purpose on the planet. I wanna encourage you today as we conclude this message. Let's understand God wants us to step into the new environment and the new ground he's giving us, but he gave us an identity that we find in Christ that he wants us to establish in every sphere of our lives and every sphere of our world. And when we remember and, and we understand our identity, we understand that our identity is the key to our purpose. Our identity is the key to the position that we have in our world. It's the key to the power that God wants to empower us with. And it's the key to the provision that he brings our way because we are partnering with him. We are an expression of who he is in our world. I wanna encourage you, let's be that people who establish our identity in the land we're stepping into for the sake of the kingdom and the greatest cause of all. Well, I wanna close by praying for you. And if you've never ever prayed a prayer where you've accepted Christ as your savior, I wanna take a moment to invite you to join me in that prayer. The Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So would you pray this after me? Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I open up my heart and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me, give me a new beginning and I believe I will never be the same because of your grace and your forgiveness. I believe that I receive now your spirit and the gift of eternal life and I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. That's the greatest prayer that you could pray. And on the screen, there's a number of different ways that you can connect with us. We can connect with you and help you take those next steps. We are so glad you made that decision. You now have a new identity in Christ. You have been born again, and you have been born with a new identity in Him that will transform your life and your world. God bless you. and my failures All of my wrongs have been left at the cross All that remains is the Father's love
Well, so glad that you could join us today, and I pray that you've been inspired and encouraged and uplifted in your faith. Uh, we're very excited about next Saturday evening having our third worship and communion evening here outside the front of our church for one hour, 6.30 to 7.30. I really hope you can join us. We've had such a great time together. It's been a, an opportunity for us to gather. Everyone has different comfort levels, so we, have, we are practicing social distancing, wearing masks, and taking all the necessary precautions and protocols. But while we can't meet inside, we can meet outside. And they've been wonderful evenings uh, that have been very refreshing, and we've had such a great response to them. Invite your friends, bring new people along, send the link to people, because I know it will be a great time and we would love to have you join us. So let me close in prayer. I want to pray for the kids uh, starting the new school year or even those who have started as well and include them uh, as we go also. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. Today, Lord, we, we commit to you, all those families with kids that are going back to school or have maybe have already in the last week or weeks, that Lord, you would give them grace as they enter this season, whether it's distance learning or whatever the format may be. We believe that you have the grace that they need. You have the grace that their parents need to be able to navigate this season and cause this to be a time where we draw closer to you, closer to each other, and you do something significant in each one of our hearts. I pray, Lord, for each and every person as we go, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Lord, that you would uh, give them grace, that you would give them favor. And I pray that the Lord would bless you, the Lord would make his face to shine upon you, the Lord would be gracious to you and give you peace now and evermore in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next Saturday evening.